the Art of Leadership Network. This is also going to be really important where like, so for example, one of my, my core values personally is like, I want to be clear and kind. So for example, like if there's something under the table, my style of leadership, I'm going to put it on the table. Well, if that's, if that's not clear, it's probably not kind that it's not clear. <laughs> but my point I'm making in all of it is like, I, if I'm trying to create that culture, the more it's clear the kind of culture I'm trying to create, I'll attract people that also have similar values in mind. So it's so good before I go to that building phase to start getting some of the stuff super clear in my heart. One, so I can communicate it, but two, so that I can attract the right kind of people and I'm not having to work so hard to get people convinced about my vision. It's like, no, we're already going and we're on the same page. What is up, Church Plant family, uh, Unfair Advantage family? It is your hosts, Mike Hickerson and Andy Wood here, hanging out, helping church planters in all ways, shapes, or forms. Uh, people that are planning on planting, want to plant, have planted, like church planters, want to support church planters, partners of church planters, which want to help people go further, faster. So I've had the privilege in my life to be a, to a church planter at Ventura, California, of Mission Church. My wife and our families, uh, and a couple other families moved in 2011 to help plant it. And I'm hanging out with Andy Wood, who helped take over a struggling little church plant in Orange County just recently, but he's been a church planner at heart for a long time. So maybe introduce yourself. Yeah, Mike, great to hang out with you again. Um, I said on the last episode, my wife Stacy and I, we moved to Orange County in the summer of 2022 uh, to follow Pastor Rick Warren. He and his wife Kay had planted Saddleback Church in 1980. Uh, prior to this, Stacy and I were church planters. We planted two churches, one in Texas while going to seminary. And then we planted one in the San Francisco Bay Area called Echo Church. We were there for 14 years before we came here. And now we feel like we're actually getting to exercise a lot of the same uh, skills and kind of heartbeat of church planting as we're in this transition kind of succession mode here at Saddleback. Yeah, it's been really fun to get to know each other over this last season and just dream about church planting and talk about it. I feel like once you're a church planter, you're always a church planter almost. You know, you have a bias towards them. You want to help them any way that you can. So it's been cool. And even having done it and maybe living in it still, there's some things that we look back and kind of see. And so we've kind of set up the frame that we wanted to have this podcast around. You maybe want to walk us through the frame that we're thinking that we could be the most helpful. Yeah, and I'm super mindful whenever I do this. Like we've we've all been influenced by a lot of people uh, yes. in this process and helped us kind of. We've learned from mentors and other people that have, have poured into us. So we've broken it down. Uh, this is not the only way to do it, but it certainly is a clear way to think about it for the the dream stage, the initial dream that God gives you, the build stage, which is where you're starting to put together your team, uh, kind of get ready to launch. Then you have a launch stage where you're getting the church off the ground, then your growth stage, which is everything that happens, you know, first year or two, and then finally multiplication, once you've uh, kind of broken through some initial growth barriers to be more of a sending center, to send people out, to plant other churches, other campuses. And we find that just kind of having these phases or stages really does clarify, like, what should a church planter be focused on when? 
And it just helps us with what conversations to have and what questions to be asking. Because if you're asking futuristic conversations that don't help you, that are too future instead of what helps you in the present, you could make some make some mistakes. And so we've been kind of spending some time in the dream stage where we want to say, okay, you know, the first one we talked about is good reasons to plant a church and core motivations. And today we want to talk about, and okay, the vision of a church and the vision of church planting. And some people that comes really naturally. Some people you know, have to work at it. Um, some people, like I talked about last time, could be insecure about vision or not feel like they're visionary, but it's this picture that God has given you. I love what you said a, a couple months ago about that. And so this is going to be a real practical tool. I love what you got laid out here for us to walk through of like, how can we help shape or how can we identify the God-given vision that God has given us? So maybe you want to kind of just walk through what you'd like to go and just lead us. Yeah. And what I have in mind or we have in mind with this is like at the end of this conversation, uh, it's it's ideal to be able to have like some written version of the vision, like a, a whether it's a little, you know, two or three page pamphlet or a prospectus was the word that we used to use, but some kind of way that you can look and say, here's the vision on paper with pictures and know clearly what that is. Yeah, it was helpful for me um, as I'm talking to people now. Um, like, I'm like, you need a three second reason, a vision. You need like a 30 second vision. You need a three minute vision. And you need a 30 minute vision, like if you're sitting in front of another church plant board or fundraising thing. So, and knowing which, you know, all that's the same vision, but be ready to talk about that as a church planner in those different kind of mentalities. Three seconds, yeah. 30 seconds, three minutes, 30 minutes. That's good. Yeah. So what we're going to walk through is five key decisions to shape and clarify that vision. And so we'll start with the first one, which really is kind of a piggyback or continuation of last uh, the, the, the first episode we did on the seven good reasons to plant a church. But number one is to clarify my why. So why am I planting a church? And there's a few questions underneath this. I'll kind of walk through these quickly, but one is why start the church, the seven, you know, last episode or two episodes ago, seven good reasons to start. Uh, and then even going a little bit further to say, why this city? Why now? Why me? Like knowing why, why am I the one that's supposed to plant this church or be the, in, the, in the lead role? But understanding that, like getting more clarity to the why really does allow me to start to then begin to articulate that vision. And what I'm after in this mode is like, I'm I'm after a church planting story. Like, what's my story? Like, what's the three to five minute story? Like, you're stuck in an elevator with somebody, or you meet somebody in a parking lot or the lobby of the church that you know you're sending church, and they're like, "Hey, tell me about your church plant." And and there should be able like a quick three to five minute. But let me tell you about how I felt called to plant a church. You're trying to get it to as much clarity around that why uh, as possible. And I would even say when you get to your place, uh, you know, when you're at, when you're meeting new neighbors, like this is a question that our neighbors are asking. If they have any emotional intelligence whatsoever, there's a new family that moved in. They're saying, hi, you're going to meet your neighbors and they're going to ask at some point, why did you move here? Where did you come from? What do you do? And I remember meeting one of my neighbors, Bruce, on the very first day. And I was like, he's like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And it's become my line from that point forward. I'm a pastor. Don't hold that against me. Because I didn't, you know, I'm like, don't hold it against me. He's like, no, 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 that's great, man. That's great. It's like, well, what, what, what church do you work at? I'm like, it doesn't exist yet. Well, where's it going to meet? We don't know. 
Um, when's it going to start? Not sure about that yet, um, but it's going to be awesome, and you're going to want to be part of it. It's, you know, have a better answer than that um, when you're meeting your new neighbors when you move into your new city. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. I I remember so many of those conversations too. Like, you know, especially in the Bay Area where uh, Echo Church is, there just is such a, a natural like resistance in so many ways. But I I also think. Um, you make a really good point, Mike, like the, the way you sell it really does make a big difference. Like I started realizing maybe like a, a few weeks in when I would say like, Oh, I'm, I'm a pastor church planter. Um, I started saying, yeah, I'm a part of a startup. Like, uh, my wife and I, and a few, few other friends, we moved out here. Uh, it's, it's actually a nonprofit. It's a nonprofit startup and, uh, it's, it's actually a church. And so by the time I like kind of got to, the the church i had like kind of resonated with so many people that moved to silicon valley to be a part of a startup and uh but just learning how to communicate that in the different audiences really does allow us to to bring more people into the vision so i just want to go back and read what you had just said around the clarify my why and i think these are great questions like why start a church why this city why at this time why now and why me so having an answer around that, like framing that vision for your friends that are going to support you, that are believers and outside of your city and churches and fundraising organizations, like all that stuff, and having that same kind of answer for the people that you're trying to reach, because they're curious as yeah. all get out about why you would do it, why now, why us, you know, and what's it going to be like. So I think it's yeah. two, two streams of that that's really helpful. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and I, I, I like... Even just looking at Paul in the New Testament, how Paul had different ways that he communicated his calling, like his his story of salvation. Like when I would emphasize my call or the, the why with my friends that were not church, I would often explain like, yeah, I, I grew up and most of my friends I hung out with normally didn't go to church, but you know, I, I was having my life changed. I, I found joy and purpose and peace and as my life was changed I, and I became a follower of Jesus, like I wanted my friends to experience that. Uh, the church I grew up in, I couldn't take my friends to that church. And that was really the beginning for me of like, I, I want to create an environment where people who maybe don't normally go to church or perhaps even wouldn't consider themselves religious people would c- could come and find hope and peace and get the kind of help that they need for their family or parenting. Like that kind of explanation that's much more relatable to a lost person versus like, you know, when I would share with the church, it'd be like, well, you know, in the San Francisco Bay area, 96% of people, or, you know, now here in Orange County, 90% of people don't go to church. Uh, we, we need, we need more churches to connect with those, those people that don't know Jesus. So it's like the two different components of it. I bet I bet a million dollars your lost neighbor in your new city that you're planting a church is does not think that that city needs more churches. So now yeah. church planting organizations and partner churches absolutely are sold out to the Great Commission and expanding church plant. But your lost friend is not real is not going to be just like excited about that. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Well, that that does lead into the determining number two. What makes your vision unique? So we've got clarifying my why for number one, and then determining. What makes your vision unique? And I think what, I, what, what we're after here is like the distinctive of like, what are, what are we trying to do as a church? 
And not necessarily like, oh, I'm against this type of church or I don't like that. or It's just more like, no, we, we want to do. So, for example, one one aspect for us when we started in the Bay Area was like we wanted to be the kind of church that served in the community. Like there uh, and, you know, now there are a million churches like that. But in, in the community at the time, there was like a huge opportunity to be the kind of church that wasn't necessarily standing up for what they were against or what, you know, what they uh, didn't like about people who don't go to church, but they were known by love and serving and caring. And so just trying to bring as much clarity to what is it that makes our call, our church unique and being able to explain that is so, so significant. Yeah, I love that. I, we've had the same kind of for the city mindset. Um, one of the things that was helpful for us is like what we would say is like, man, God was working in our city before we got here. So we're, we're um, and he'll be working long after we're dead and gone. So we want to join where God is, before we even planted, we want to join where God is working. We want to be people of good news. We want the, the city, and this isn't original to us, but we want the city to, like, if we didn't exist, we want them to be sad. They may not believe anything that we believe, but man, Mission Church, that's the place that if the city needs help or I need help, they'll help you with practical help and tangible hope. And so like having that kind of like not and that's not we're not saying we're the only church in the world or our city that's doing that. But that's for sure what we want to be about and a vision that we have. So um, that we that we had even said what would make us unique. We want to be about lost people. You know, that we, we weren't trying to get other people from other churches at our church. We weren't trying to overeducate everyone because we can do we can preach better than and educate the, about the Bible better than anyone else. We we wanted to go after lost people. We weren't the only church in our city going after lost people, but that was a unique conviction and calling that we had. Yeah, you know, Mike. One one really practical thing that a church planter could do as they're processing is like take out a journal and even just like roll through some of these questions that we've talked about. And like with this determining what makes your vision unique is to really wrestle through like, okay, what is it? What is it that I'm trying to create and trying to like write that down? And I found like when I wrote this for our, uh, for echo in particular, I went, I remember the house we lived in. It was like this little three bedroom house and, uh, had like a little front room. Stacy was pregnant with my son, Caden. We were like waiting to, for her to give birth. We're like processing the call. Actually, she had just given birth. Um, and there was one room in the house. I just went in. I had a desk. I like locked myself in and for like a full week, just boom, 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 tried to hear from God and write as much of it as I could. And I remember that process of like really asking God to speak and trying to write out as much of the vision as I could was so good for me just to get as much of it as on paper as possible. Uh, so that's so crazy because I had a, not the exact situation, but I had a unique time when I never thought that I would even share what happened to me in public, but it was something that God used to form in me. We had gone to exponential uh, and we were just trying to process calling like we talked about last time. And, you know, what are we going to do? And are we supposed to go? And is this obedience? And are we the right people? Is that the right play? You know, all the stuff that we were processing. And I was flying home on a flight from exponential, having have a clear conviction around what we were called to. And I remember writing in a, in a journal and I'm not like a huge journaler, but I wrote like a manifesto is what I called it. I'm like, that's the dumbest name. It's like, nobody will ever see it. So it's fine. And I wrote like this journey of like, if God was calling me to church, call, to plant a church, this is the kind of church that I think that he would call me to plant. 
And I started just writing on the, on the flight home. And it became something that we ended up using publicly later, but I never thought it would be public, but it was part of like the articulating this kind of thing of what we were called to. And maybe uh, if you're real nice to me, I'll drop it in the show notes later, but, uh, but oh, that, yeah, well, great, the manifesto. So, but it is kind of that you're cranking it out and you're like, yeah, I, I, I that's the kind of church I think God would call us to plant and let's go after it. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. That's, even if like a church planter stuck is like saying, God, give me that. Like if, if you want me to do this, I need that from you. You know, yep. I can't do it without you, without you speaking. Okay. So this next one's going to feel a little contradictory. Um, but I think it's worth kind of throwing out there is sometimes when you're starting, I think most church planting models, like there's no, there's no like, never completely 180 different from anything that's ever been done model out there. I think even when you look at like iterations of new waves of the church from purpose driven, like for sure, Rick Warren was one of the greatest and is one of the greatest visionaries of the last hundred years of of the church. He saw a wave and rode that wave. But what Saddleback was in the 1980s, was not a, like a massive shift from what he's even talked about. You know, originally it was Crystal Cathedral that was doing kind of this church for the unchurched, but he took it and boom. So the, the third point I'm kind of getting to here is to follow a model that fits your vision and your wiring and mostly like just learning from somebody. Because I, I find that when it comes to models of church planting, church planters can get a little bit confused and you like take something from here and you take something from there and you take something and then you like throw it all together. And then you have something that really is not a cohesive model of ministry. And I I think that there's just a, a huge importance in like learning from a comprehensive model of church planting and saying, okay, what were the things that really worked there in that model and trying to like take that and internalize it and then come up with your own expression. Because what happens is it turns into Frankenstein vision. It's like, I want the preaching style of Andy Stanley. I want the music of Elevation. I want the growth track of Church of the Highlands. And I want like the impact of Saddleback. Is, you know, and I'm, you know, fill in the blanks of your names, of those church names that you're looking towards. And like, we tend to like Frankenstein it instead of having that holistic. And it's great to take things from there and learnings, but attach them and click them to the vision, the undergirding vision that God has called you to not just, don't just take the silver bullets from places. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that becomes clear the longer you do it too. Like I would say when you're in your twenties, it's, it's really hard to know who you are in your twenties. Uh, but there will be like natural, like, it's funny to me, Mike, I, I'm almost like, okay, do I say this publicly? Um, I remember when I was in my twenties and like thinking how many like church planters and young leaders were critical of Rick Warren. And I said to Stacy the other day, I said, I don't ever remember having, like, I never had that critical response to Rick Warren or purpose driven. And Part of it was I just resonated so deeply with a model of church that it, the, the crowd to core, or crowd to commission model of church, I just fundamentally resonated with how 
Rick Warren had articulated that way of thinking. And it's funny because, you know, we planted out of that kind of purpose-driven church plant model. And I'm, I'm certainly like a primary idea guy. Like I like to say things in a fresh way. I like to say it in a unique voice. But at the end of the day, like a church that is a great commission and great commandment focus outside in, I've been on that model of ministry since I've been like 22 years old and I'm 41 yep. now. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm like, it's it's great commission, great commandment, Luke 15, Acts 2. Like it's we don't need to overcomplicate it. There are there are models out there, but you know, at the core, we're about reaching people and making disciples, and it's gotta stay there. Yeah. Mike, one other thing I think that is just so like if you're just breaking down models, for example, um, some key questions to really think through is like what is the primary purpose of the weekend's service? Um, so is the weekend service, is it designed for believers? Is it designed for lost people? Is it designed for both? There are some churches that are much more like weekend is where we feed people and send them out. Some churches are more like, let's have an experience where both lost and uh, uh, believers can come, which is more b- uh, both of our bent. Um, I think that that's important. What's the role of small groups is another good question to wrestle through. What is your teaching style? Like, are you going to be more like, okay, I'm going to just pound through Romans for a couple of years? Or are you going to be more like, okay, I'm going to do teaching series? And all that is just like really good kind of wrestling through conversations. And again, I'm, I'm not right or wrong on any of this. Like, I really do believe a lot of it has to do with calling. I've seen all these different styles of churches work. I've seen movements of God and, you know, uh, preach through Romans for years kind of churches and churches like ours. And so there's just no, I don't believe that there's a right or way wrong, right or wrong way to do it. But I do think that there is a good, you want to, you want to learn from different models. That's great. But if you're constantly chasing different models, it makes you really confused and hard to follow as a leader. Yeah. I have the tension of that. I say is like Andy Stanley. I learned it. It was like, marry the mission, date the model. Like we're called, we're, you know, we're committed to the mission of the church, the model. Sometimes when we get that as we get more, we view morality around the model and that can get us into some bad spots. Cause I think the older I get in this, I'm like, man, God uses all kinds of churches and all kinds of models that are fulfilling the great commission. And we don't need to throw stones or rocks or bricks. Like we want to celebrate them. Yeah. But, but yeah. if you're co- constantly looking for the silver bullet of the next model switch, uh, then it, it, that is, you're not giving any time of the fruit to happen in the longevity. So, and long obedience yep. in the same direction type of thing. So I agree. I agree hundred percent. It's good, man. All right. We've got two more here. The fourth one is to design and articulate a clear vision for the church. The, there are several key components to this. Like one is writing out the purpose statement and we want that to be short, clear, compelling, and memorable. Uh, and then within that, which is the fifth, so I'm going to kind of tie these two together, like design and articulate a clear vision for the church, number four. And then number five is to develop a short list of core values. I love that. So what what we found, like, let me just ask you this question. Are you wired, like on the core values part, are you wired to be like, I prescribe them, like I know what they are and I set them out, or do you find them along the way? Does that make sense? If you're thinking through, or how did you do it, or how how would you advise a church planter? 
I think I would do it like wet cement. So I'd like say, okay, hey, here's like four or five things initially that I feel kind of more in in my bones, like, and drive towards that. But then just say we're going to refine it a year from now, which is kind of what I've I've done here at Saddleback is just to say like, hey, here's some key cultural elements that we're going to use to shape our culture. And then over time, we'll make this better as we go along. Yeah, we, we did the same thing. We would have like there was stuff that was no brainers for us about conflict and, you know, things like that, how we wanted to core values of how we work together, but also core values of our church, like tangible hope and all that kind of stuff. But we also had this whiteboard in our area of like when something would get violated or something was so important to us, we had to define it. And we're like, let's get that on a board because we want to make sure we hold on to that. Like yeah. we want to be, yeah, you know, we want to throw great parties. We want to have a kingdom impact. We want to have significant ministry, you know, like that we didn't, I'd love to say we started with those things pre-launch that we had those values laid out. We really found them post-launch, but we had, we, uh, but they were already embedded. We just hadn't excavated them yet. So give yourself like wet cement and time to excavate what's true about the church that God has planted in you. Yeah. You know, one thing I kind of wish that I had done early on, Mike, is I wish that I had made like a page of language, like a language page that was just like all the phrases. And I've talked about doing this so many times, but all the little phrases that come up that you're like, okay, I want to harness that so that I can shape culture with that. Because really culture is carried with, with our words, with our attitudes, with what we reinforce through praising what we accept or don't accept in terms of behavior. But language is like the primary carrier of culture. And so just having the right language, I think part of what we're doing in this process is searching for those phrases that allow us to shape the way that people think and really ultimately the way that people respond in a cultural environment. And I would just to wrap this a little bit together, when you've got your 30 second, you know, your three second, your three minute, 30 minute, like you want to, as you're thinking through what God has called you to, you want to have those kind of in your back pocket. And then when you actually have a church moving forward, you're going to be able to hold those and celebrate those and give examples of why your church is doing that. So give yourself some room to, to flesh those out, talk about them. Does that make sense? Does it not make sense to people? It makes sense to you, but are people not grabbing a hold of it? And then be willing to go like, okay, that doesn't make sense to anyone. What am I really trying to communicate? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think another part of this, Mike, that's going to be so important as we like go further down, because we're going to talk in the next couple episodes, we'll talk about where to plant. But after that, in the episode that's following that, we'll talk about what I should look for in a staff team or the kind of people that I'm, I'm pulling together. I do believe that there's certain things you don't want to compromise on in terms of like, one would be philosophy of ministry. And again, like it's, there's not right or wrong, but you don't want to get in, in the trenches or in the foxhole with somebody that's got a different philosophy of ministry. And uh, I would also venture to say that like the last couple of years have really been an interesting, um, it's been an interesting time in, in particular in the United States of America in terms of culture and politics and the way people see things and just kind of drilling into giving yourself the, like we're, we're of the beliefs that the Great Commission is the most important focus, but there are certain people that perhaps maybe they're, they maybe have a little bit more of a social agenda, or there's some people that maybe they have a little bit more like nationalist agenda. And uh, I mean, I, I've got my opinions that I'm going to leave off of this podcast on all that, 
but I would say like, that's probably worth, that's probably another category that we didn't have to deal with as much when we we're starting, but right. to find out like, okay, I want to know, maybe we don't see eye to eye on everything, but I want to know, like at the end of the day, do you believe that we're the, the mission for us as a church is the great commission, not like a social agenda or a nationalist agenda uh, is, is a huge, is a huge component of what we do. The, um, the other aspect is that when you start to get into like, decisions that you make in terms of events like i don't want to have to have an outreach event and then spend gobs of time like trying to explain to a staff member why we're doing outreach or i don't want to have to like i don't want to launch small groups and have to explain to a staff member why why we're doing small groups the another another thing that's really good to to clearly communicate in all of this is like starting to wrestle through, we'll get into this more, but like the, the team that you're recruiting, what are you recruiting people to do? Like helping people understand like a church plant is a ton of work and it's roll your sleeves up. You're going to get your, your hands are going to get, you know, you're going to get dirt underneath your fingernails. But if you know the kind of church, you know, the mission, you know, culturally what you're trying to do, this is also going to be really important where like, so for example, one of my, my core values personally is like, I want to be clear and kind. So for example, like if there's something under the table, my style of leadership, I'm going to put it on the table. Well, if that's, if that's not clear, it's probably not kind that it's not clear, <laughs> but my point I'm making all of it is like, I, if I'm trying to create that culture, the more it's, clear the kind of culture I'm trying to create, I'll attract people that also have similar values in mind. So it's so good before I go to that building phase to start getting some of the stuff super clear in my heart, one, so I can communicate it, but two, so that I can attract the right kind of people. And I'm not having to work so hard to get people convinced about my vision. It's like, no, we're already going and we're we're on the same page. Yes, I do think people follow people. Um, I do think that. But when you have vision oriented with what, like if you're pointing to the vision that God has called you to and called us to, then, and you're, and you're not shrinking back on that from the, in this dream phase, um, like that's, it's important to kind of be having those guardrails in from that phase at the beginning. So that's how you're getting team. That's how you're probably doing fundraising. That's probably how you're getting a core team, a launch team, like moving, we're moving this way. And we're not flinching off of that. Let me just do a quick review, Mike, on all of these so that if anybody's taking notes, they can get it. Number one was clarify my why. And I had underneath that uh, four questions. Why start a church? Why this city? Why now? Why me? Number two was to determine what makes your vision unique. Number three is to follow a model that fits your vision and your wiring. Number four is to design and articulate a clear vision for the church. And we have here writing out a purpose statement that's short, clear, uh, compelling, and memorable. And then number five is to develop a short list of core values. Love that. So I'm gonna put, I'm gonna say our purpose statement, then I'll let you do yours a little bit later in a second. So, but ours is at Mission, we just ended up with, we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we go after. We talk about it all the time. So we can't find Jesus for people, but we can help. We can't follow Jesus for people, but we can help. And it's not a superstar Christian that does it, it's we all together. So that's part of our statement. 
That's good, man. So um, now at Saddleback, it's we exist to urgently lead people to say yes to Jesus and his purposes for their lives. And then at Echo, it was we exist to urgently lead people to say yes to Jesus and passionately follow him. So Sounds I was familiar. able to hang on to that. We exist to <laughs> urgently lead people to say yes to Jesus. Love it. Love it. Well, and for those of that are just finding this podcast, this is actually where the conversation we want to have together of like as church planters, loving church planters, we want to be able to talk about some things that were helpful in our journey that we've learned and kind of look back along the way. So feel free to share this, look around, and it'll just be a conversation between Andy and I. And then we interview a friend, a next episode that's that we feel like is just killing it in one of these areas. So look forward to that. We will catch you. Much love, man. Great hanging out. Awesome. Thanks, Mike.